on the screen is a picture of actor Jake Lloyd. You may not recognize him here as an adult. Many will recognize him here in this picture as a child actor. He starred in one of the Star Wars films and very popular. And he shared himself, though, things are not always as they seem. A couple of weeks ago, his family, they shared that he's going through a number of problems right now. Jake Lloyd would share after he was the actor in Star Wars, growing up was a nightmare. The kids in school would bully him on a regular basis because they were jealous and upset about the success that he had. And he would go on to say that high school was just a nightmare. And he sank into depression. And then sometime later, his sister died. And that just caused even more heartbreak. And today his family shares that he's receiving mental health treatment and he's in a, a, a hospital at this time. And again, sometimes things are not always as they seem. Here's another actor, Ahmed Best. And again, you may not recognize him from this picture, but many will recognize this picture here. He played Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars. And Jar Jar Binks, one of the characters that was uh, loved by some, but many people did not like that character. And Ahmed Best would say himself now recently sharing after many years later the depression that he's fought and even becoming suicidal because so many people disliked his character, said horrible things to him, even saying to him, I, I wish you were never born. So again, sometimes what's there on the surface is not really what is taking place in reality. We're going to look at some things here today that speak to that in life for ourselves, for that person there in the mirror, for things in our culture, some wisdom principles to take and to see life become more like Christ calls us to live it. As J. Vernon McGee says, the highest desire that can possess any heart is a longing to see God. So we've been talking about some of the words of James, James chapter 4, where he says, do not, do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That term world, again, it means a worldly system or worldly thinking or sinful thinking. You know, culture may be going one way, but if it's going outside of where Christ is, then that becomes the world that James is talking about. We are called to live in a different light, to walk differently, to, to just be different in our character, following after Christ. And so we're going to look at some things today about some things that are said in culture, even some things in politics. And what's the response that scripture calls us to live our daily life and follow? So here's something we've talked about before. Wells Fargo Bank, for example, they recently, you know, in the last couple of years, it became public. They had opened illegally 2 million accounts, fake accounts for customers and charged them for those accounts. And they were fined for that. But there's consequences to what we do. And notice what Wharton School of Pennsylvania had to say about Wells Fargo, worldly thinking. Before the crisis, Wells was the most valuable bank in the world. Since then, its price-to-book value has fallen 31%. 31%. As Rick Gillespie said it well, remember this, no matter how well you plan to choose to sin, God always reserves the right to determine the consequences. So let's talk about some of this worldly thinking, worldly living, and, and the relation to then our life and how we should respond to that scripturally. So here's some examples we looked at from Hollywood, things not always as they seem. Here's from finance we see, things not always as they seem. Let's talk about politics. I'm sure there's people on both sides of the aisle on what they believe about politics and how things should go. But let's look at the nature 
of politics here for a moment here. Baron Rothschild said this, Give me control over a nation's currency. I care not who makes its laws. 1700s, Nathan Rothschild said this, I care not what puppet is placed on the throne of England to rule the empire. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British empire, and I control the British money supply. So let's talk about politics in the sense of worldliness and our response as believers. And if you see where we're told to live, use wisdom, understanding Again, notice things may not always be like they seem on the surface, even though somebody may say one thing. We want to be guided by what is true in Christ. So let me give you an example of something important to history that impacts us today, but shows how some of the politics does take place in the world. Jekyll Island is an island off Georgia, and people meet at Jekyll Island mostly in secret. And who meets there? Well, Politicians meet there, wealthy people meet there, there are some bankers that meet there, other leaders meet there, but again, in large part, who is there is kept secret. What do they do at Jekyll Island? Well, they talk about financial decisions, they talk about politics, and what things should happen in culture, that they may say they have your best interest at heart when they have somebody say it in public, but again, things are not always as they seem. Let me give an example of Jekyll Island. You go back to 1913, some of the people that influenced, influenced a man named President Wilson, and what did they influence him to do? He passed what is known as the Federal Reserve Act into law. What is the Federal Reserve Act? Well, it essentially took money creation from the government and gave it to what's known as the Federal Reserve. What's the Federal Reserve? It's a bunch of private banks. They didn't want to call themselves banks, so they called themselves federal to make it sound like they're part of the government. They're not. It's private bankers now that control money, and they decide what interest rates should be, which is why you can buy a house and you have to pay about three, four times what you paid to pay it off. Same with cars. It's what's taking place at the Federal Reserve that decides things like that. Overwhelming debt. Well, why did President Wilson decide this into law? And how did it pass that he signed it into law? Well, this is where the politics comes into play. When did he pass this law? He passed it December 23rd, 1913. December 23rd, the day before Christmas Eve, when everybody else went to Christmas vacation. Again, things on the outside may not always be as they seem. What people say, they may not always mean when they claim they've got your best interest at heart. That's why Solomon says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Don't just trust what somebody says. Live differently by following Christ, knowing that there's worldly thinking that is completely opposite to Christ's thinking. What's happened now since we have a Federal Reserve? As Troy Anderson notes, since the Federal Reserve was established, America's national debt has grown 5,000-fold. The value of the dollar has declined 98%. So when you hear people say, it seems like things used to go further for a dollar in the past, well, they are correct. Again, what happens when somebody says they're doing something for everybody else's benefits, but it's just simply something they're doing for self, worldliness. So what's our response to be when it comes to things like politics? First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, one of the clearest statements for believers. Paul says, first of all, first of all, he couldn't be more clear that what he's about to say is the priority. 
Speaking on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's what Paul says. First of all, he says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be offered on behalf of all men. And then he notes specifically, also for kings and all those in authority. So again, I'm sure there's people on different places politically. What's our response as believers? First of all, to pray for those in leadership. And then to live in a way that we use wisdom to make decisions about life and truth, not based on what somebody else may be saying, but based on who Christ is and what he says. One of the most uh, beautiful statements, Jim Elliott, who was a, a missionary to the Aka Indians, he was martyred in the 50s. He said this, though, remember this, God is still on his throne. Man is still on his footstool. There's only one knee's distance between them. So we should use wisdom, get wisdom. If you get involved in politics, be somebody then that uses integrity and uses wisdom in Christ's light to bring that light into that arena. D.L. Moody said it, we ought to see the face of God every morning before we see the face of man. Daily to begin our life saying, let me be crucified with Christ to no longer live, but know he liveth in me allow his light to be lived through us. There's a a wonderful story from the early 1900s about M.L. Mettler and London restaurant owner. He had a policy that any missionaries that came to the restaurant ate for free. They would always try to pay. He wouldn't allow them to pay. And one missionary shared he was there one day and he wanted to pay for the meal and M.L. Mettler wouldn't let him pay. And they were walking out of the restaurant. He was thanking him. And he saw the cash register. He said there in the cash register with the, the dollar bills and the coins, there was a, a nail. And he asked M.L. Mettler, what is the nail for? And M.L. Mettler said this, I keep this nail with my money to remind me of the price that Christ paid for my salvation and of what I owe him in return. That we daily can stop and say, you know what, I owe him my life. Let me then live with wisdom. Let me shine the light of his love, his gospel into the dark places. And when it comes to things in culture where it's worldliness, to simply go the opposite way, but remember to pray for those in leadership. Notice what James chapter 5 verse 3 says. Very clear statement by James here. And he's not simply talking about worldly wealth. He's talking about where your heart is. But James 5, 3, he says this, your gold and silver are corroded. Your gold and silver are corroded. They had become corrupt because they had been compromised. They they had a lack of integrity. They had been deceitful. They had mixed their gold with other alloys. So it was corrupting, but it was a symbol of their heart that their gold, what they gave their life to was becoming corrupt. They had compromised, mixed their life with sin, deceit, things like that. Now, in the elements of you know, worldly wealth, Billy Graham said it well, there's nothing wrong with possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. Some people have great wealth, and that's a blessing as long as they, they are there in God's will using that wealth as he leads and leads and guides. James is not then saying anything about the worldly wealth. He's saying about how people got that wealth and they used, you know, deceit, cheated other people, lied to get there. And he says that type of gold, that type of life is corroded. And again, not just physical gold, but whatever we have in life, if we got it by deceit, we got it by cheating, we got it by lying, it's simply going to corrode away. 
We'll give you a personal example. You know, again, remember Solomon said wisdom is the, the principal thing. So, for instance, you know, my wife and I, we got a house just a few years ago. It came with a home warranty. And you have this insurance company that's claiming that they're there for you. And one day, you know, a motor on a, the pool here broke. And so we called the insurance company. And lo and behold, they said, you know, that's, that's the one thing not covered by your insurance policy. And, and I thought, you know what, what a, what a coincidence, huh? We have a couple friends. They bought a house just a few months ago. We were visiting them and they were doing some repairs on their house. And I asked them, hey, did you turn this into insurance? And, and they said the same thing. They've tried to turn in almost 12 different items to home warranty and they got back 12 rejections. Perhaps you like Dave Ramsey. I appreciate his uh, wisdom. Dave Ramsey was asked again about a home warranty. His word simply never buy a home warranty. Again, another example of somebody, companies that say they've got your best interest at heart and then you say, you know what, here's then what I need and then they suddenly say, you know what, we can't help you with that. That is worldly thinking. That's why get wisdom no matter how much it costs and go the opposite way of where you're watching culture go when they're in that worldly, selfish, sinful, looking out, for money and nothing else, self. Let's talk about gold for just a moment here from uh, Glenn Pearson, just a short history. Again, it, it may not be something you and I are, are pursuing, physical gold, but the, the history behind this is fascinating, and, and you can apply it to your life, and I apply it to my life, where we pursue things that are not going to provide what we thought they might, even if we are really pouring our heart into that, because the only thing that lasts is Christ. But here's Glenn Pearson on gold. Notice how much people will sacrifice to get something that they think is going to provide what they want when it never can. And we'll come back to James' words here in just a moment. Glenn Pearson, the gold rush of history has made people willing to risk everything for what gold could provide. When the great 1849 gold rush to California started, the laborer in the East made about a dollar a day. No wonder they left by the thousands. 35,000 chose to sail around South America to get there. This several thousand mile journey took five months. Others crossed the Isthmus of Panama and risked tropical fever and poisonous snakes. 50,000 chose the overland route, facing mud of prairies, waterless deserts, steep mountains, and Indians. The routes were littered with abandoned wagons, the carcasses of animals, rough crosses, marking the graves of those who did not make it. They were often the fortunate ones, those who made it, did not find paradise, but purgatory. The 49ers were a very unhealthy lot, and most of them died poor. If they worked from sunup to sundown, they could average $12 worth of gold a day, just enough to survive. The stories of the few who made it big spread and kept the myth alive, and that brought a steady stream of people from all over the world to California. In 1897, when the rest of the Klondike in Alaska began, men faced temperatures so cold many died. Others lost limbs, went blind, still gold motivated them to take any risk. 3,000 horses and mules died trying to get men to the Klondike. Still, 33,000 people made it because of the powerful lust for gold. The stories of suffering and sacrifice to get gold are almost endless. 
On February 15, 1869, John Deason and Richard Oates were returning to their cabin with a cartload of provisions. They got stuck in a mud hole. In digging out, they hit a rock that glittered like gold. To their amazement, it was the largest nugget ever discovered, 200 pounds. It was so heavy it broke down their cart. This happened in the gold rush in Australia, but this is a rare story. Many paid with their lives and the health to find this precious ore. By 1939, the U.S. had more than half the world's gold, $17 billion worth. That is why they decided to build Fort Knox 30 miles south of Louisville, Kentucky, housing all of this to protect the gold. The vault door weighs 20 tons. To open it takes several people with combinations known only to them. If there is any tampering, the door releases poisonous gas. The largest storage of gold, however, is five stories beneath the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Here the gold of other nations is stored. It is protected by a 90-ton resolving steel door. And again, what does James say? Your gold and silver are corroded. On a personal level, if we've gotten gain by deceit, dishonesty, cheating, lack of integrity, sin, selfishness, what we have is corroding. And he's very clear what sin looks like in his next statement. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Pretty powerful words there by James. What does he mean? Corrosion, it will eat away at your life. It'll destroy things of value like compassion, patience, grace, kindness. Simply understanding, again, what things may look like on the surface, what people may claim is true on the surface. Use wisdom. Wisdom is that principal thing. Understand that the only thing that is true value is who you are in Christ. The mystery, Paul says, is now Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what lasts. What is done for him does not corrode or fade away. What is done in the worldly sense, no matter how powerful the pool is to follow that crowd, Corrodes away, and if we have selfies gain, it'll eat away our life. Don Jones shares about collecting coins as a child, and he shares, you know, that during World War II, copper was valuable, and so they wanted to produce steel pennies. And in 1943, they began to make steel pennies to preserve the copper. And Don Jones shares he came across those pennies one day, and he bought them, and he put them in a book where he kept coins. And then a few months later, he shared he was looking at that book and he pulled out the steel pennies to admire them. He said, I was shocked. The front was still beautiful. The back had reacted to the paper in the book. Each penny was eaten and green and had rotted. Again, things we might pursue, think this is going to last. Only what's done in Christ is what will last. That's why Francis Ridley wrote this beautiful poem, 1858. She was in Germany. She saw a picture of Christ on the cross. Underneath there were the words, I did this for thee, what hast thou done to me? She then wrote a poem about those very words. Didn't like the poem. Wadded up the paper, threw it in the fireplace. Where it landed, it didn't catch fire, it didn't burn. Her uncle pulled it out and said, what is this? Read it, said, this is beautiful, you should publish it. That poem is now a hymn that we sing. Thy life was given for me. Thy blood, O Lord, was shed that I might ransom be and quicken from the dead. Thy life was given for me. What have I given for thee? Thou hast brought to me down from thy heaven above salvation full and free. 
thy pardon and thy love. Great gifts thou hast brought us me. What have I brought to thee? Oh, let my life be given, my years for thee be spent. World fetters all be riven in joy with stuffing bent. Thou gavest thyself for me. I give myself for thee. Maybe easier to remember is somebody has said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We close with Philippians 4.19, D.L. Moody's words. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. To which Moody said, Here's a bank check, the firm, my God. The promise shall supply the amount, all you need. The capital, his riches, the address of the bank in glory, the signature, Christ Jesus. And Moody concludes, this check must be endorsed by the person to whom it is made payable. What is done in Christ will last no matter how strong things are in the world. If it's worldly, in the sense James talks about, he said that's the opposite of what Christ wants. Let us live in him for things that will truly last. Shine the light into the darkness. Show people the truth in Christ. There's so many falsehoods in culture. Pray for those in leadership. Pursue things that have eternal value. Bill Scheibler, a Vietnam vet, wrote this. I served as an airborne ranger platoon leader in the 1st Air Cavalry Division during the Vietnam War. Our company was beaten up pretty badly by the enemy during one mission. When our platoon survivors returned to base camp, we all trudged down the muddy path to our tent. As men took their places in their bunks, the number of empty bunks became apparent. Men put their faces in their hands and sobbed like children. Each of us wondered if our bunk would be empty at the end of the next mission. Fortunately, there was something we could always count on to help keep our sanity. Late in the evening, long after the sun had gone down, a distant bugle could be heard playing taps. When that haunting, nostalgic song was played, all activity in the battalion area came to a screeching halt. Conversations would stop and men would all sit back in their bunks listening to what had to be the most poignant sound I have ever heard. Now, years later, as I look back on the horrors of combat, I remember that unknown bugler who played taps so late every night. It seemed that if only for a few moments we were assured that someone was up there sending us renewed hope through those 24 simple notes. The words of taps for each of us as we leave this day and go into the week. Day is done, gone the sun. From the lakes, from the hills, from the sky, all is well, safely rest. God is nigh.